Welcome to Memory and Top 40 Music, where we revisit the top of the pop charts through the eyes of history. I'm Spoken Joe Williams. On Memory and Top 40 Music, we go back in time together, using the Billboard charts, to tell a few stories about the songs and the artists, and hopefully strike up a memory or two, but also with an eye on what else was going on when these songs were hits. For this episode, I've chosen the week of May 6, 1957. This was the week when one of rock and roll's pioneers made his top 10 debut, Chuck Berry. And before we get started, I want you to be alert for anything you hear in this episode which sparks a memory for you. If that happens, feel free to drop me a note and share your memory with me. Email your memory to memory at SpokenJoe.com. Spoken Joe, that's me, Joe Williams. S-P-O-K-E-N-J-O-E. Memory at SpokenJoe.com. Or leave a comment on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash SpokenJoe. I'll include a couple in an upcoming Memory in Top 40 Music episode. And I want to thank you for the wonderful response we've had to Memory in Top 40 Music. Your comments have been great, and we love to see them. Feel free to invite a friend to listen in. We'd love to have them with us. The top 10 songs from May 6, 1957 certainly represent an impressive collection of music and artists. These 10 songs spent a combined 185 weeks in the top 40. That equates to three and a half years. 105 weeks in the top 10. That's two years. And a combined 12 weeks in the number one position. And it includes some of the biggest artists ever, who brought along a duck walk, hip gyrations, and a 44-year relationship with a single record company. Okay, let's get this countdown underway. At number 10, up three spots from last week, is Jimmy Dorsey and his orchestra and a song called So Rare. So Rare has quite an interesting, yes, even rare, chart history. After three weeks in the Hot 100, it seemed to have peaked at number 62 before falling back down to number 95. Odds were it would be off the charts the next week, but no, it rebounded and jumped up to number 77. The next week, it climbed 35 places to number 42. The following week, it made its top 40 debut, and five weeks later, this week, the week of May 6th, So Rare was in the top 10, where it stayed for 17 weeks. It peaked seven weeks later, on June 24th, at number 2. All told, So Rare spent 38 weeks in the Hot 100, 27 of those in the top 40. Jimmy Dorsey was one of the most famous American musicians of his time. He played the clarinet and the saxophone, he was a composer, and as most know him, Dorsey was a big band leader. A native of Shenandoah, Pennsylvania, Jimmy Dorsey's brother Tommy was also a very well-known musician. In the 1920s, the Dorsey brothers formed the Dorsey Novelty Six. Jimmy then joined the California Ramblers and signed on with the Ted Lewis Band. Jimmy Dorsey went on to work with Rudy Valley, among other band leaders. Then he and brother Tommy formed the Dorsey Brothers Orchestra and appeared on dozens of radio broadcasts. When Tommy left to form his own band in 1935, Jimmy renamed his band the Jimmy Dorsey Orchestra. Jimmy had some of his biggest hits when he teamed Helen O'Connell as the band's lead female singer, with Bob Eberly as the male lead. In 1953, the Dorsey Brothers reunited. Actually, Jimmy joined Tommy's band, which would now be known as Tommy Dorsey and his orchestra, featuring Jimmy Dorsey. 
In December 1953, the brothers appeared on the Jackie Gleason TV show on CBS. After a tremendous reception, Gleason created a weekly variety program called Stage Show that the Dorsey brothers hosted from 1954 to 1956. And it was on this program that Elvis Presley made his first national television appearances. Tommy Dorsey died on November 26, 1956, and Jimmy took over leadership of the band until his own death just seven months later, in June 1957, from lung cancer. Now, let's pause on that date for a second. Jimmy Dorsey died just five weeks following the particular chart we are featuring in this Memory and Top 40 music episode. So Rare would reach its number two peak position two weeks following Jimmy's death. Jimmy Dorsey charted 56 times between 1941 and 1957. 28 of his songs made the top 10, and 7 of those hit number 1. Jimmy Dorsey was in several movies, including the Fred Astaire Ginger Rogers film Shall We Dance, the Dorothy Lamore William Holden movie The Fleet's Inn, and even with Abbott and Costello in Lost in a Harem. He and Brother Tommy starred in their own biographical movie The Fabulous Dorseys in 1947. As for the song So Rare, the vocals on the Jimmy Dorsey recording were handled by the Artie Malvin singers. The song had a very rhythm and blues feel, a big change from Dorsey's customary big band sound. Perhaps that accounted for the song's hesitant initial chart progress. In the end, So Rare was a smash hit, which Billboard ranked as the number five song for all of 1957. Years following his death, Jimmy Dorsey received recognition when in 1983 he was inducted into the Big Band and Jazz Hall of Fame. He is also a member of the American Jazz Hall of Fame. In 1996, the U.S. Postal Service issued a Jimmy Dorsey and Tommy Dorsey commemorative postage stamp. Number 10 for the week of May 6, 1957, Jimmy Dorsey and his orchestra with the hit, So Rare. I'm Joe Williams, and the artist at number 9 is the reason we're looking at the chart for the week of May 6, 1957. This week marked the top 10 debut for Chuck Berry, one of the true pioneers of rock and roll. He did it with the song School Day, which jumped up from last week's number 11 position in this, its third week in the top 40. Chuck Berry was born in St. Louis in 1926. In 1953, he joined the Sir John's Trio, which would soon become known as the Chuck Berry Combo. When they played a popular venue known as the Cosmopolitan Club in St. Louis, Berry adopted riffs from the very popular country-western music of the time and came up with his own sound. Audiences, both black and white, loved his sound as well as his onstage antics, which included his one-legged hop and the duck walk. Upon meeting his idol, Muddy Waters, in 1955, Barry signed on with Chess Records. Though Chess was a blues label, they inked Barry on the basis of his new song, which would become Maybelline. Maybelline became the first Chuck Berry single and reached number one on Billboard magazine's Rhythm and Blues chart. He finally broke into the top ten on the pop charts in 1957 at the age of 31. Chuck Berry toured incessantly, and his stage shows were legendary. They were also noteworthy for the volumes of white audience members, showing Berry's ability to cross color lines with his unique talents. Berry toured with the likes of Carl Perkins, the Everly Brothers, and Buddy Holly. He appeared in a couple of early rock and roll movies, Rock, Rock, Rock in 1956, in which he sang You Can't Catch Me, 
and Go Johnny Go in 1959, in which he played himself and performed three songs, including Johnny Be Good. Barry's performance of Sweet Little Sixteen at 1958's Newport Jazz Festival was included in the motion picture Jazz on a Summer's Day. He was a major star in every respect by the end of the 1950s. Along the way, Barry's career was marred by legal trouble and a couple of prison sentences. The 1960s featured more touring success than success on the charts, but then, in 1972, Barry had his only number one song on the pop charts, the novelty song, My Ding-A-Ling. Did you know that song was originally entitled My Tambourine? Chuck Berry played at the White House for President Jimmy Carter. Among the honors he received were the Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award in 1984 and the Kennedy Center Honors in 2000. He was included in the first class of inductees into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1986. He was ranked 7th on Time Magazine's 2009 list of the 10 best electric guitar players of all time. Rolling Stone Magazine ranked Berry number 6 in its list of the 100 greatest guitarists of all time. His album, The Great 28, was ranked 21st in Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Albums of All Time. Six of his songs were included in Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs of All Time in December 2004. They were Johnny B. Good, which was number 7, Maybelline at number 18, Roll Over Beethoven, number 97, Rock and Roll Music at 128, Sweet Little Sixteen at number 272, and Brown-Eyed Handsome Man at 374. And Johnny B. Good was ranked first in the 100 Greatest Guitar Songs of All Time. In 1977, NASA launched the Voyager 1 and 2 spacecraft, which for 40 years now have explored the outer solar system. The exploration by Voyager 1 has included flybys of Jupiter, Saturn, and Saturn's large moon, Titan. In fact, Voyager 1 is the farthest spacecraft from Earth, as well as the farthest man-made object. Voyager 2 studied both Uranus and Neptune. Aboard each spacecraft is a phonograph record. They are known as the Golden Records. The records contain sounds and images which portray the diversity of life and culture on Earth and are intended for any intelligent extraterrestrial life form or for future humans who may find them. The record's contents were selected for NASA by a committee chaired by astronomer Carl Sagan. They include images and a variety of natural sounds. Also included on the Golden Records are musical selections representing different cultures and eras. The song chosen to represent the American culture was Chuck Berry's Johnny B. Good. Berry's country music-influenced approach to rhythm and blues allowed him to introduce a never-before-heard sound in rock music. His mesmerizing ability on the guitar, combined with his focus on guitar solos in his songs, influenced countless musicians to follow. He's been called the father of rock and roll, and John Lennon once said, if you tried to give rock and roll another name, you might call it Chuck Berry. Both the Beatles and the Beach Boys recorded Berry's song, Rock and Roll Music. Who else covered Chuck Berry songs? The Rolling Stones, Electric Light Orchestra, Linda Ronstadt, ACDC, The Yardbirds, Jimi Hendrix, Elvis, Dwayne Allman, Emmylou Harris, John Lennon, and the list goes on. Chuck Berry died on March 18, 2017, at the age of 90. Over his career, Berry placed 27 songs on the pop charts, 
13 of those made the top 40, of which 6 made the top 10. The first of those to make the top 10 was School Day. School Day spent 15 weeks in the top 40, peaking at number 5 three weeks from this chart. That would be May 27, 1957. At number 9 this week, Chuck Berry's hit, School Day. This is Spoken Joe Williams, and you're listening to Memory and Top 40 Music as we look back at the top of the charts from the week of May 6, 1957. If you recall a couple of episodes ago when we discussed Pat Boone's I'll Be Home, I told you that Boone still holds the Billboard record for spending 220 consecutive weeks on the charts with one or more songs each week. So it should come as no surprise that this week we have a Pat Boone song. But technically, we don't have a number 8 song this week, because we have two songs tied at number 7, both of which were tied the prior week at number 6. The first of those being Why, Baby, Why by Pat Boone. I detailed much of Boone's success and career in Episode 2, so hoping not to be repetitive, I want to talk a bit this time about Pat's in-laws. Pat Boone's father-in-law was Country Music Hall of Famer Red Foley, Foley was a singer, musician, and radio and TV personality who made a major contribution to the popularity of country music. He sold more than 25 million records and hosted the first popular country music series on network television, Ozark Jubilee, from 1955 to 1960. Foley's trademark song was Chattanoogie Shoeshine Boy. Boone's mother-in-law performed under the stage name Judy Martin, she was also a country singer who rose to fame in Chicago, appearing on National Barn Dance, a country music radio show on WLSAM. As for the song Why Baby Why, this was its seventh week in the top 40, and it had reached its peak the week before at number six. The song spent five weeks in the top 10. It's an upbeat tune co written by Luther Dixon, who also co wrote the songs Boys and Baby It's You, both of which were later covered by the Beatles. I'd say that's a nice feather in any songwriter's cap. Pat Boone would go on to have two number one hits this year, with Love Letters in the Sand, topping the pop charts in June 1957, and April Love, doing the same in December. One of our two number seven songs this week, Pat Boone and Why Baby Why. Before I unveil the other number seven song this week, I want to pause for our memory jogger feature. We're going to go back to September 8, 2017, a sad day for music fans, and for country music fans in particular, as on that day we lost both Don Williams and Troy Gentry. Don Williams, known as the Gentle Giant, died at the age of 78. Don Williams formed the Pozo Seco Singers, a folk-style trio in Corpus Christi, Texas, in 1964. Over a seven-year career, their biggest hit was the song Time. Williams migrated to Nashville, where he signed a songwriting contract. He then signed a record deal with JMI Records and first hit the charts with The Shelter of Your Eyes. Williams quickly became a regular on the country music charts, hitting number one for the first time with I Wouldn't Want to Live If You Didn't Love Me. Among his hits were all-time favorites such as Tulsa Time, She Never Knew Me, It Must Be Love, and Lord, I Hope This Day Is Good. Perhaps his best-known song is 1980's I Believe in You. It not only topped the country charts, it was also Don Williams' only crossover hit onto the pop charts, reaching the number 24 position in December of 1980. 
Williams hit the country chart 55 times and had 17 number ones. Williams was the Country Music Association Male Vocalist of the Year in 1978, and his hit Tulsa Time was the Academy of Country Music Record of the Year for 1979. In 2010, Don Williams was inducted into the Country Music Hall of Fame. On the same day Don Williams died, Troy Gentry of the award-winning country duo Montgomery Gentry was killed in a helicopter crash in New Jersey. Gentry and duo partner Eddie Montgomery were scheduled to perform in Medford, New Jersey that night. Montgomery Gentry began performing in their home state of Kentucky. Their debut album was 1999's Tattoos and Scars. Montgomery Gentry hit the country charts 28 times. Among their songs were the number one hits If You Ever Stop Loving Me, Something to Be Proud Of, Lucky Man, Back When I Knew It All, and Roll With Me. In 1999, Montgomery Gentry was awarded Favorite New Country Artist at the American Music Awards. Both the Academy of Country Music and Country Music Association named them Duo of the Year in 2000. They made 18 appearances in the Hot 100 and hit the Top 40 Pop Charts four times with She Couldn't Change Me in 2001, My Town in 2002, Roll With Me in 2008, and their highest peaking song in the Pop Charts, 2004's If I Ever Stop Loving You, which made it to number 30 in July that year. I think my first introduction to Montgomery Gentry was hearing their version of the Robert Earl Keene most unusual Christmas tune, Merry Christmas from the Family, in 2000. Yeah, I admit, I still look forward to hearing it every Christmas season. Montgomery Gentry had so many great lyrics in their hits. From their 2001 number 2 country hit, She Couldn't Change Me, she changed direction, headed back home. She changed her tune, It's All Haggard and Jones. Had her dark brown hair pulled back and the bluest eyes you ever seen. She changed everything when she couldn't change me. September 9th, 2017. A sad day when we lost two hit-making country music stars, Don Williams and Troy Gentry. The focus of Memory Jogger. Thanks for the music and the memories. This is Spoken Joe, and I know you've been wondering what the other number seven song is on the chart from May 6, 1957. The first of the two number seven songs this week was Why Baby Why by Pat Boone. The other number seven is by another male superstar, Andy Williams, and it's his hit, Butterfly. Butterfly was a number one song for Andy Williams, having spent three weeks atop the charts in March and April. The song was in the top 40 for 14 weeks, nine of those in the top 10. This week would be its last week in the top 10. Butterfly was co-written by Cal Mann and Bernie Lowe. Mann and Lowe also wrote Elvis's number one hit, Teddy Bear. Andy Williams was one of those eternal performers whose careers seemed to span numerous generations. He recorded 44 albums, was nominated for six Grammy Awards, and hosted the long-running TV show, The Andy Williams Show, which was awarded three Emmy Awards. A native of Wall Lake, Iowa, Andy Williams and his three older brothers formed the Williams Brothers, a quartet who were known regionally in the Midwest and who also sang with Bing Crosby on his hit, Swingin' on a Star. Then Las Vegas called, where Kay Thompson and the Williams Brothers became a huge act, becoming the highest-paid nightclub act in the world. 
1953, the Williams brothers went their separate ways, and Andy Williams would become a featured singer on The Tonight Show starring Steve Allen. This helped put Williams' solo career on the right trajectory, and he reached number 7 in August 1956 with Canadian Sunset. He followed that up with Butterfly, which would surprisingly be his only number one hit on the Billboard charts. Williams sang Moon River, the theme from Breakfast at Tiffany's, which won Best Original Song at the 1962 Academy Awards. Williams signed what was at that time the biggest recording contract in history, and at one time he had more gold albums than any solo performer except three guys named Sinatra, Mathis, and Presley. Williams sang two songs, The Battle Hymn of the Republic and Ave Maria, at the funeral of Robert F. Kennedy in 1968. He also had hits with Where Do I Begin, from the movie Love Story in 1971, and Speak Softly Love, love theme from The Godfather in 1972. Among the regular performers on Williams' TV show were the young Osmond brothers, who Williams discovered while they were performing at Disneyland. Williams was well known for his annual Christmas specials and for his rendition of It's the Most Wonderful Time of the Year. He's also supposedly included among the caricatures on the cover of Ringo, Ringo Starr's 1973 album. I say supposedly because those images are way too small for me to make out. I suspect his inclusion may be a result of his public support for another former Beatle, John Lennon, during Lennon's battle to stay in the U.S. at that time. And while it didn't get the attention such a performance would earn today, in 1973, Williams sang the national anthem at Super Bowl VII. Later on, in May 1992, Williams opened the Moon River Theater in Branson, Missouri, a big vacation destination. Andy Williams died of bladder cancer in 2012 at the age of 84, but what a legacy he left and what a career he had, selling more than 100 million records worldwide. The second number seven song this week is by Andy Williams, the song Butterfly. In addition to the memories these great songs bring back, let's see what was going on in the world in May of 1957. Dwight Eisenhower was in his second term as president. Senator John F. Kennedy won the Pulitzer Prize for Profiles in Courage. Nearly 25,000 people gathered at the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C. for a prayer pilgrimage for freedom, urging the federal government to fulfill the three-year-old Brown v. Board of Education decision. The last speech of the day was by Martin Luther King, an event which placed him in the national spotlight. The South African government approved race separation in that country's universities. Iron Liege won the Kentucky Derby, and Bold Ruler with Eddie Arcaro aboard won the Preakness Stakes. Members of the New York Yankees were involved in the Copacabana incident, leading to the trade of Billy Martin, who would return to the team 18 years later as manager. The National League approved the moves of baseball's Brooklyn Dodgers and New York Giants to the West Coast, breaking the hearts of many young boys and grown men in New York. On the cover of Time magazine this week was King Hussein of Jordan. Born in the month of May 1957 were Steve Farris, guitarist for Mr. Mr., Astronauts Paul Ronnie, Dominic Pudwill, and Bill Gregory, the latter whom I've had the pleasure of meeting. National Hockey League Hall of Famer Rod Langway. U.S. Olympic gold medal swimmer Deanna Deardruff. Professional football coach Bill Cower. Punk rock guitarist Sid Vicious. Alpine skier Steve Mayer. And U.S. Olympic hockey goalie Jim Craig. 
Among those who died in May 1957 were Senator Joseph McCarthy and the man who imprisoned gangster Al Capone, G-Man Elliot Ness. Now back to our countdown. It's time for number six on our countdown show. Do, 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 do. We'll send it back now to Spoken Joe. Do, 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 do. At number six this week, we have the Dell Vikings with Come Go With Me. The Dell Vikings, a doo-wop group, were one of the few racially integrated groups to find success in the 1950s. Clarence Quick, Crip Johnson, Don Jackson, Samuel Patterson, Bernard Robertson, and Clarence Harvey Ringo were all in the U.S. Air Force, stationed in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, when they formed in 1955. Soon after, Patterson and Robertson found themselves newly stationed in Germany, and they were replaced by David Lurshie, the first white member of the group, and Norman Wright. Their first hit, Come Go With Me, written by group member Clarence Quick, was released in December 1956 by Phoebe Records. Dot Records re-released it the next month, and it became a national hit. It stands at number six this week, and would peak the next week at number five, Going Gold. Come Go With Me spent 22 weeks in the top 40, eight of those in the top 10. It was their first hit, and it also proved to be the Dell Vikings' biggest hit. They hit the Hot 100 two more times, both in 1957. Whispering Bells became a top 10 hit, reaching number 9 in August, and Cool Shake reached number 46 later that month. But their songs have lived on in part thanks to being used in various films, including American Graffiti, American Hot Wax, and Diner, among others. The Dell Vikings at number 6 this week with their biggest hit, Come Go With Me. At number 5 this week, down a notch from number 4, is Buddy Knox and Party Doll. I have such a great memory of this song. My mom still has her small collection of 45s from back in the day, and among them is Party Doll. It was such a catchy tune. I always enjoyed listening to it, and it brings back great memories from my childhood. And mom's record collection didn't come out often. We really had to be on our best behavior. FYI, there was another version of Party Doll on the charts this week. You'll find that at number 14, and it's by Steve Lawrence. That one had gotten as high as number 10. A native of the wonderfully named Happy Texas, Buddy Knox and some high school friends started a band, Rhythm Orchids. They performed on the same radio show as a young Roy Orbison and his band, The Teen Kings. Orbison suggested Knox go see a man by the name of Norman Petty, who owned a recording studio, which led to Knox recording Party Doll. Party Doll was a song which Knox had started writing back in 1948 when he was 15 years old. Knox would appear in the top 45 times, with Party Doll being his biggest hit. It spent 15 weeks in the top 40, eight of those in the top 10. It had gotten as high as number two on April 13th. When Party Doll was riding high in the charts, Knox was drafted into the Army. Later in 1957, he hit with Hula Love, which reached number 12, and with Rock Your Baby to Sleep, which was released under the name Lieutenant Buddy Knox with the Rhythm Orchids. It was a number 23 hit. In 1968, Knox was back on the country charts with a song called Gypsy Man, which got as high as number 64. Knox died in February 1999, but this week, he had the number 5 hit with Party Doll. Let's take a look at what else was going on in the world of entertainment in May 1957. 
the last original broadcast of I Love Lucy aired on CBS on May 6, 1957. Larry King had his initial radio broadcast. The first nationally televised rock and roll dance show, Rock and Roll Show, debuted on ABC TV with first rock and roll DJ Alan Freed hosting. This preceded Dick Clark's American Bandstand by four months. In Toronto, CHUMAM became the first Canadian radio station to play only top 40 rock and roll music. The top grossing movie for the week of May 6, 1957 was Funny Face with Audrey Hepburn and Fred Astaire. And the top five TV shows of the 1956-57 TV season were, starting with number five, December Bride, The $64,000 Question, General Electric Theater, The Ed Sullivan Show, and the aforementioned I Love Lucy was the top-rated show of that season. The General Electric Theater, by the way, was hosted by an actor named Ronald Reagan. Each and every one of those shows, and for that matter, each of the top eight rated shows that season, aired on CBS. I'm Joe Williams, and you're listening to Memory and Top 40 Music, and we're taking a walk through the top of the chart from the week of May 6, 1957. Climbing from number five to number four this week is Gone by Ferlin Husky. Ferlin Husky hailed from Cantwell, Missouri. He was a gunner on a troop ship on D-Day off the coast of France. Post-war, he was a regular on Cliffy Stone's Hometown Jamboree radio and TV series, on which he sang, performed comedy, and did impersonations. As for his singing career, Husky first hit it big with 1953's A Dear John Letter, a duet with Gene Shepard, which made it to number 16 on the Best Sellers chart and number 1 on the Billboard Country chart. He rose to national fame via appearances on the TV shows of Arthur Godfrey, Ed Sullivan, Steve Allen, Johnny Carson, and Merv Griffin. Husky hit the top 40 three times, with Gone being his biggest pop hit. Gone spent 18 weeks in the top 40, including 10 weeks in the top 10. He was a megastar on the country chart, scoring there nearly 50 times. He hit number one on the country chart with A Dear John Letter, Gone, and Wings of a Dove in 1960. He secured significant roles in a variety of movies, including 1957's Mr. Rock and Roll and 1967's Hillbillies in a Haunted House. Through it all, Husky remained a huge attraction on stage. Country music star Merle Haggard said, There were a lot of years when nobody in the business could follow Ferlin Husky. He was the biggest live act of the day, a great entertainer. Husky was one of the first country music entertainers to receive a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, and he was inducted into the Country Music Hall of Fame in 2010. Husky died in March 2011. And for the week of May 6, 1957, he stood tall in the number four position with Gone, the first of three weeks he'd spend at number four, the song's peak position on the chart. This week's number three song is Round and Round by Perry Como. Wow, where do you begin with Perry Como? His career lasted more than 50 years. He was a huge recording star and was a pioneer in the realm of music variety TV shows. Born in Cannonsburg, Pennsylvania to Italian immigrant parents, Como was the seventh of ten children. He showed an instinct for music at an early age, playing numerous instruments, though it would be as a singer that Como grew to fame. I found it interesting that Como was a member of the Cannonsburg Italian band with a man named Stan Vinton. 
who was the father of singer Bobby Vinton. Though he was at first a barber, Como accepted an offer to join the Freddie Carlone Band. Three years later, he joined Ted Weems' orchestra. Como was a regular on popular radio shows, first with Weems and then as a solo artist, a crooner, as it were. CBS offered Como his own radio show, then he was booked for two weeks at the Copacabana nightclub and very shortly thereafter signed a contract with RCA Victor. The relationship between Como and RCA Records lasted 44 years. Como was seen weekly on television from 1948 to 1963, then continued hosting the Kraft Music Hall Variety Program monthly until 1967. He made four films for 20th Century Fox, and from 1989 until his death in 2001, Como co-hosted a weekly syndicated radio show with John Knox called Weekend with Perry. Como hosted a very popular annual Christmas special, which aired from 1948 until 1994, with his performance of Ave Maria being the most anticipated moment of those television programs. I can tell you it was a show which was always on in our house. An example of Como's popularity came in 1956, when Life magazine conducted a poll of young women asking them which man in public life most fit the concept of their ideal husband. It was Perry Como. Como was frequently recognized for his accomplishments. He received the 1959 Grammy Award for Best Vocal Performance Male, five Emmys from 1955 to 1959, and shared a Peabody Award with Jackie Gleason in 1956. Como was inducted into the Academy of Television Arts and Sciences Hall of Fame in 1990 and received a Kennedy Center honor in 1987. After his death, Como received the Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award in 2002. He also has three stars on the Hollywood Walk of Fame for his work in radio, television, and music. The song Round and Round was a huge hit for Como. It spent 19 weeks in the top 40, 13 of those weeks in the top 10. It reached number one for one week in April. After that week atop the charts, Round and Round enjoyed six consecutive weeks at number three. Como charted with 147 songs over his great and long-lasting career. He placed 112 of those songs in the top 40. He had 45 top 10 hits and hit number one nine times. His first number one was 1945's Till the End of Time and the last being Round and Round. Even though he had his final number one hit in 1957, Como kept on charting into the 1970s when he had a number 10 smash with It's Impossible in 1971 and he reached number 29 in 1973 with and I love you so. What an amazing career. The legendary Perry Como, this week at number three with Round and Round. Looking over the balance of the chart this week, there were four new songs in the top 40. The highest debuting song was at number 36, that being Johnny Mathis and Wonderful Wonderful. By the way, the highest debuting song on the Hot 100 was Ricky Nelson's I'm Walkin', which landed way up at number 52. And two famous and much-adored female singers were on the chart with their last top 40 hits. Rosemary Clooney at number 30 with Mangoes, 
one week ahead of peaking at number 25, and Dinah Shore with Shante Shante at number 29, which would prove to be its peak position. And aside from songs in the top 10 this week, there were two former number one songs on the Hot 100, along with only one future number one. Those that had already reached the number one slot were this week's number 38 song, Tab Hunter's Young Love, and Don't Forbid Me by Pat Boone at number 75. These are in addition to Andy Williams' song at number 7, Butterfly, and Perry Como's Round and Round at number 3. The lone future number one song anywhere on this week's chart is also by Pat Boone, Love Letters in the Sand, which was at number 72 in its first week in the Hot 100. You know, I want to squeeze in another installment of Memory Jogger right here. It's something to think about the deaths which hit the music industry within just a few days in November. Malcolm Young of ACDC on November 18th, Della Reese and Mel Tillis on November 19th, and David Cassidy on November 21st. Malcolm Young was guitarist and, along with his brother Angus, was co-founder of the hard rock band ACDC. ACDC hit the top 40 three times, getting to number 37 in 1981 with Back in Black, to number 35 with 1980's You Shook Me All Night Long, and with the number 23 hit Money Talks in 1991. Della Reese is best known today for playing the lead angel Tess on the very popular TV series Touched by an Angel, but her career was long and multidimensional. As a solo singer, Della Reese placed three songs in the top 40, 1957's And That Reminds Me, which reached number 29, 1959's Don't You Know, which was a number two hit song, and 1960's Not One Minute More, which made it up to number 16. One of Delarice's big admirers was Martha Reeves of Martha and the Vandellas. Martha created the name Vandellas in part as a tribute to Della Reese. Of all the guest hosts of The Tonight Show starring Johnny Carson, Della Reese was the first black woman to fill in as a guest host. Country singer Mel Tillis never appeared on the Top 40 charts, but he had 74 songs on the country charts. He had 36 Top 10 songs and hit number one six times. Mel Tillis was also a prolific songwriter. Among the 1,000-plus songs he wrote were Ruby, Don't Take Your Love to Town, popularized by Kenny Rogers, and Ricky Skaggs' hit Honey, Open That Door. His daughter, Pam Tillis, placed 29 songs of her own on the country charts. David Cassidy was best known as Keith Partridge on the popular Partridge Family TV series of the early 1970s. It was a role that in many ways identified Cassidy for the rest of his career. The TV series spawned several Partridge Family albums and a healthy list of popular songs, including I Woke Up in Love This Morning, a number 13 hit in 1971, plus three top 10 smashes, I'll Meet You Halfway, which reached number 9 in June 1971, doesn't Somebody Want to Be Wanted, which reached number 6 in March 1971, and the number one single, I Think I Love You, which topped the charts for three weeks in November and December 1970. And the thing about those Partridge Family hit songs, I think, once you knew them, you never forgot the words. Don't ask me how I know this. And I woke up in love this morning. I woke up in love this morning, went to sleep with you on my mind. Like I said, don't ask. 
David Cassidy was the son of actor Jack Cassidy, stepson of actress and his Partridge family mom and co-star Shirley Jones, and brother of singer-actor Sean Cassidy, who had four top 40 hits of his own, including Da Do Ron Ron, which reached number one in July 1977. As a solo singer, David Cassidy hit the top 40 four times with Could It Be Forever and How Can I Be Sure in 1972, Lie to Myself in 1990, and his biggest hit, Cherish, which he took to number 9 in 1971. Don't underestimate how big a star Cassidy was in the early 1970s. He was a huge concert draw. As Tracy from Crofton, Maryland told us, her very first concert was David Cassidy, at which he wore a red velvet jumpsuit. Cassidy's acting career included numerous performances on TV and stage and earned him an Emmy Award nomination for a guest appearance on the series Police Story. Malcolm Young, Della Reese, Mel Tillis, and David Cassidy. That was some list, wasn't it? Don't you just love the variety they represent? Thanks for the music and the memories. Do a diddy, here's a song at number two. All right, getting back to our review of the top ten this week, we are up to number two, which was Little Darlin' by the Diamonds. The Diamonds emerged out of Canada as a quartet, whose original members were Phil Levitt, Dave Somerville, Ted Kowalski, and Bill Reed. The group's first performance was in the basement of St. Thomas Aquinas Church in Toronto, singing in a Christmas minstrel show. The response was very generous, and this propelled the Diamonds, 18 months later, to tie for first place on Arthur Godfrey's Talent Scouts, a program on which newly discovered talent was introduced to the American public. This led to a contract with Coral Records, but none of the Diamonds' records made the big time. Then they signed with Mercury Records, which felt they would find success as a doo-wop group. The Diamonds first hit with Why Do Fools Fall in Love, which reached number 16 in 1956. The group found its biggest success in 1957, first with Little Darlin', and then with The Stroll, both top 10 hits. The Stroll debuted on the Hot 100 in late December, so it really saw most of its chart action in the first months of 1958. The Diamonds hit the top 40 11 times between 1956 and 1961, but between 1957 and 58, three of the four members of the Diamonds left. After the 1961 departure of lead singer Dave Somerville, the group's chart success came to an end, though the Diamonds continued to perform for many years after. Little Darlin' was the Diamonds' biggest hit, lasting on the top 40 for 21 weeks. In fact, it made its top 40 debut at number 22. Little Darlin' was in the top 10 for 13 weeks, and it spent six weeks in the number 2 position. Those were the same six weeks in which Perry Como was number 3 with Round and Round. Do you wonder who kept them from the top spot? Well, hang on, we'll get to that pretty soon. This week at number 2, The Diamonds and Little Darlin'. Before we get to the number 1 song this week, let's review the top 10. At number 10, So Rare by Jimmy Dorsey and his orchestra. Number 9, School Day by Chuck Berry. There was not a number 8 song this week as we had two songs at number 7. They were Pat Boone with Why Baby Why and Andy Williams with Butterfly. At number 6, Come Go With Me by the Dell Vikings. Buddy Knox was in the number 5 position with Party Doll. Ferlin Husky was at number 4 with Gone. At number three, Perry Como's Round and Round. 
The Diamonds were at number two with their biggest hit, Little Darlin'. And the number one song on May 6, 1957, All Shook Up by Elvis Presley. All Shook Up was in its fourth week of what would eventually become eight weeks at the top of the charts. And as you know by now, All Shook Up, along with The Diamonds' Little Darlin' and Perry Como's Round and Round, were numbers one, two, and three in that order for six consecutive weeks. All Shook Up was the 15th of Elvis's 104 Top 40 singles. It was written by Otis Blackwell, with Elvis himself also receiving writing credit. The song turned out to be a triple threat for Elvis, who took it to number one on the Hot 100, the Billboard R&B chart, and the Country chart as well. Additionally, All Shook Up was Presley's first number one hit in Britain. Otis Blackwell, by the way, also wrote or co-wrote a string of big hits, including Great Balls of Fire, Don't Be Cruel, Return to Sender, Fever, made famous by Peggy Lee, and Handyman, which you'll likely remember being a hit for James Taylor. How big a hit was all shook up for Presley? It debuted in the Hot 100 at number 26. It then jumped 20 places to number 6 before reaching number 1 the next week, only its third week on the Hot 100, where it stayed for those eight weeks. In all, Presley's All Shook Up spent 22 weeks in the top 40, with 15 of those weeks in the top 10. You know, in 1957, when Elvis made his third and final appearance on Toast of the Town, the television show hosted by Ed Sullivan, he was only shown from the waist up. This was an effort to escape some of the controversy his gyrating style previously caused, while still bringing him to the teenage crowd who yearned for his performances. Of the 14 songs Elvis would place atop the charts, All Shook Up had the longest run at number one. It was the fourth of his number one songs, and of all the songs, it lasted the longest on the Hot 100, an impressive 30 weeks. All Shook Up by Elvis Presley, number one for the week of May 6, 1957. I hope you enjoyed our review of the top 10 songs for the week of May 6, 1957. I focused on this chart on memory and top 40 music, as it was the week that Chuck Berry, one of the true pioneers of rock and roll, made his first appearance in the top 10. Did you hear anything in this episode that brought back a memory? If so, please share it. Send me a note to memory at spokenjoe.com. Episodes of Memory and Top 40 Music are available on iTunes and Stitcher. Give us a rating and some feedback while you're there, and please subscribe. Now, I realize that aside from the Tom Petty episode, our episodes of Memory and Top 40 Music just happened to come from consecutive years. 1955, 56, and 57. That wasn't necessarily intentional, but when you think about how and when rock got started, it isn't much of a surprise that this time frame has received so much of our initial attention. But I don't want to risk being too conventional, so we're going to skip, yes, I said skip, 1958. Now, there's nothing against 1958, and I'm sure we'll visit it in a later episode. But when I come back next time, I'll look at the top 10 for the week of February 3rd, 1959, that date being the day before the day the music died. Thanks for listening. I'm Joe Williams.